Oh my gosh, it's been a minute. How do I get this in place? <laughs> Got your mic in place. Welcome back to another episode of Tuxedo Time, where we wear tuxedos, and it is time, podcast edition, heading north. After show, after show edition. edition. Yes. That's exactly what it is. This whole podcast has just turned into after show editions. That's okay. But what is what is heading north for those who are unaware? Okay. So on this podcast, we normally talk about you know, live video production, being creator, but we do a special edition of the podcast that we call the after show edition, where we go behind the scenes on one of our big projects on our main YouTube channel at Becky and Chris. So today we're going to be talking about our most recent five-part helicopter travel series called Heading North, where we flew north into Canada for a week-long camping trip. We made five videos. They're all on our channel. They're all done. We're finished. They're uploaded. They're ready for a binge watch. Mm -hmm. Link in the show notes, beckyandchris.com slash podcast episode number whatever number this is. <laughs> Can you put a title up? Because yeah, it's a podcast. Exactly. So yeah, we're going to be talking a little bit about the behind the scenes, but mostly actually doing a Q&A in this episode because the series was actually shot over a shorter period of time. Mm-hmm. The series was a lot of work, but it wasn't as much work as some of our other projects. So we don't have actually a lot of behind the scenes footage that didn't actually make it into the video or into our like debrief video. Yeah. And speaking of binge watching, if you've finished all five episodes of heading North, you can then binge watch all episodes of heading East, which was another helicopter series where we spoil alert headed East, east. to the new England area. Yes. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed a trend? This is becoming a yearly thing for us. Wow. And before that it was cold Island 2019, where we flew the helicopter from Buffalo, New York to Newfoundland, Canada, where we are from. That was actually six episodes in our very first helicopter travel series. There you go. You have three full helicopter travel series to binge watch if that's your thing. Yes. But we're going to be talking about heading north. But before we move into the Q&A portion and actually talking about the series, I just want to give a huge shout out to Melanote for coming on board and and sponsoring. (laughs) Supporting on Sponsoring. I want to give a thank you to Milanote for coming on and supporting our entire series. We love Milanote so much. They're great to work with, and we also love the app. It's like the backbone of our company, basically. I do all of our planning for our trips and our videos and production and mood boards and storyboards and all of the things in Milanote. Thank you, Milanote, for being deadly. Thank you for being a deadly. Thank you for being a friend. I don't even know what that's a reference to. I think it's Golden Girls. Ow! I think I just pulled something in my neck. <laughs> You're old. Okay. So <laughs> you, speaking of being old, <laughs> truth or, or or false? F- truth or truth or dare? <laughs> truth or dare? Yeah. True or false? You looked up workouts the other day. <laughs> yes. And I you agree. googled senior workouts because yeah. you thought that was your level of, of functioning. Workouts for senior citizens. That is what I looked up. <laughs> I was like, this is like, I feel like I need to move my body, but I'm like. I really am not into fitness. I do not like gym culture. I think it's a little bit toxic, to be honest with you. But, you know, you got to take care of yourself and you got to move your body. And so I was like, hmm, what level of activity could I do that's sustainable? Senior <laughs> so you, citizens. You really set the bar low. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, we're not going to talk about workouts. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about why we did this trip in the first place. Because this was the first time that you and I have done a dedicated camping trip. We've dabbled in camping, you know, a, a night here or there, a night tacked on to heading east. But this is our first time that we went on a fully dedicated camping trip. This is the first time we've gone on any camping trip, dedicated camping trip. Period. Period, yeah. We've never done car camping. No. That's like the luxurious way I to I mean, go. we've gone like camping like one night randomly here and there. 
Yeah. But we've never gone on like a multi-day excursion. No. And that really is because, well, first of all, I'll do any trip that requires flying. And we've combined that hobby of mine with my new love for outdoors. New love for outdoors. Yeah. 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 So you got into that because, well, kind of on accident. And we kind of touched on it a little bit in the series, right? Yeah, but we can talk a little bit about it deeper here. So if you guys have been following our channel for a long time, um, you'll, you'll probably know this already. But if you're kind of new here, back in 2019, when we did our first helicopter series, Cold Island, we flew from Buffalo, New York to Newfoundland, Canada. Now we're flying through rural Canada. You can watch the whole thing to see where we went. But we ended up getting stranded in the rural wilderness of Quebec for 48 hours. And Chris and I had at that point had never camped before. We bought a tent specifically for that trip, just in case we needed it because we knew that we weren't going to have a lot of access to weather data, etc. So we ended up having to camp for these two nights and they were horrifying. I thought they were pretty fun. I thought it was adventurous. The first night was fun. The second night was scary. I mean, we almost ran out of gas and it was super windy and we had never really done well, it before. Well, it wasn't like so. almost ran out of gas. It was just that we got right to the end of our fuel efficiency. We had to stop yeah. proceeding it, so we wouldn't run out of gas. <laughs> so we'll just say it was quite the stressful experience. And like as a person who like had never been camping before, I didn't really know what to do or how to really prepare. And I Quote, didn't, I never want to do this again, I know. end quote, Rebecca Beckham. When I look back on that, it's so funny because I said I'd never want to do it again. And here I am thinking like, oh my God, let's do Cold Island season two. <laughs> but like camp the whole way. Yes. So I would do that. Yeah. It totally takes the the headache of the logistics out of it. It really does. When oh you, my God, you just land anywhere. Yeah. And it's all crown land up there. Yeah. So you could, you could literally land anywhere. Yeah. It makes it so much easier. And like now that we know how to camp and how to pack... And how to manage all of our things for like bears and... Oh, we're going to be some stinky. Oh, we're going to be some stinky, but you know what? <laughs> don't even matter. We won't have food in our tent. Mm. We'll know how to shit in the woods. <laughs> I'll break out my prosthetic dong so I can pee standing up. <laughs> we got to cover new, do yeah. it now. I think we should do it before the overhaul. There's no way we could do it before the overhaul because Newfoundland is not conducive to camping outside of <laughs> July and August and the overhaul is in May. So. Oh, don't be so foolish. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> we went to Newfoundland in May and almost died. We were so cold. No, it's fine. And now you're going to want to go to the, that's absolutely not. I'm putting my foot down on that. That's <laughs> fucking dangerous, dude. Uh. No, <laughs> no. You're sick in the face, <laughs> but we, we could go up to Canada again, do that. Mm. Do what we did. Yeah. It warms up in the Georgian Bay probably. Sooner than it does in oh, Newfoundland. Yeah, for sure. I, I would say we'd probably be okay to go up there in April. The water would be cold. We'd have to be careful, but... Yeah, I mean, we wouldn't have to go swimming or anything. Absolutely not, no. But anyway. Anyway, so, yeah. The, so, the reason why we wanted to do this trip is because, well, back in Cold Island, I said I never want to do this again. I hated not knowing what we were doing. I hated not knowing what to do. Then you went on a rocky montage and leveled up. Yeah, I did. And during the pandemic, I was like, oh my God, I just want to be in the woods. And I was like, how do you be in the woods? And then I started watching all these wilderness channels and watching bushcraft videos. And like, I bought a book on like the Norwegian way of stacking firewood and like <laughs> just got a little bit too bent on it. And now I'm absolutely obsessed with it and I can't stop buying camping gear. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So we put it to the test this summer and uh, had a blast. Yeah, it was great. It was it, very enjoyable. It was very enjoyable. So we made this series. So that's kind of the, the impetus, will you say? Is that mm -hmm. the right word? Yeah. Uh, for why we did this. Uh, heading north series this year and it was also like i think 
it was the ideal usage of the helicopter. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the times we're doing these travel series, if we're if you're going from airport to airport to airport, you can you could do that in a plane. Yeah. And it'll be more efficient and faster. But the things that excite me are doing the activities that you can only do in a helicopter, i.e. off airport landings. And we did that a little bit in in all of the series, at Cold Island, heading east, and of course heading north now, which was more or less entirely dependent on having the ability to land off airport. Yeah. Because we were landing on islands, just all all the islands. Mm-hmm. So, I, in fact, I was going through uh, and editing some Heliscape stuff for it's our other channel. It's basically long form cinematic aerial footage to uh, kind of relaxing music. And it's kind of an excuse for us to be able to put up our long helicopter flights of which we have many uh, or like FPV drone compilations. So any aerial footage that we get on these series, I'll try to put them up on the Heliscapes channel. And I'm just editing one now. I put up one today actually where it was the FPV drone footage of each of the two campsites. And next week I'll put up uh, another one where we're basically flying from Island one to Island two. And it's basically an hour long of us just doing a flight around the Georgian Bay, kind of weaving in and out of islands, high flight, low flight, checking things out, looking for places to camp and just seeing, going back and reliving that footage, going through, like putting the music in and like, you know, editing some of the clips. It's just like, wow, this is beautiful area like I wish we could go back there right now but it's dead ass winter (laughs) yeah I know I feel the same as I was editing the series I was like oh my god I just want to go back here so bad but like take the pressure off of making a series add in like maybe better weather so we could have a fire and cook some stuff instead well it was very hot when we went it was was, summer it was peak summer and we couldn't bring like a lot of food across because we were crossing the Canadian border so we couldn't bring like fresh fruits vegetables food that's like illegal to bring it across so I think it would have been cool had we been able to stop maybe get a crew car or a cab into like a grocery store pick up a few things stick it in a cooler and then go on out and you know have a fire and do your cooking and all that stuff. I think mm. that would be a blast. Yeah. Maybe Next do time. it with a crew. Yeah. I think having a couple of friends along, along with us would be a blast for mm. sure. But man, that, that color, that water, it, it like it transitions from like close to the shore. And I think it's just because like the rocks are a little bit reddish. Yeah. You get this like transition where the rock gets deeper and deeper and it goes from like orangey red rock to like yellow to this like bright green and then transitions to turquoise, and then it is like this deep cerulean blue for the d- the deep parts. Yeah, and it's just these crazy. It looks like uh, was it morning glory hole? Mm-hmm. It, it's just called morning glory. A glory hole is. A, oh, that's different. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, mor- morning glory is a. You were calling it morning glory hole because you're an asshole. <laughs> morning, morning glory is a a feature, an attraction, if you will. In is it Yellowstone? Yes. Yellowstone National Park. And they've got these holes and they're glorious. They're holes that have these, I guess that there is a cyanobacteria or some sort of bacteria that creates these very vivid colors that were basically the same color palette. Yeah. And I don't know if it, I, I assume there's no bacteria that makes that because it was a hot spring, I guess, where glor- a morning glory is, right? Yeah. I think just like the Great Lakes, like Huron in particular, in that bay is just clear. Yes. The water is very clear nice and calm and and honestly like it blew my expectations out of the water <laughs> no pun intended Burr. but i wasn't expecting that vibe the turquoise i thought we were going to be in the woods and i said that a couple of times in the series but like it really was majestic because ideal it was ideal and it's everything i've ever wanted out of a remote vacation without having to go south yes 
You know what I mean? It was probably the perfect scenario. And then like all of the islands being rocks, you had like, you didn't have to worry about like having gross swampy areas. Well, there were some swampy areas, but like yeah. there was firm footing. You weren't in like tall grass. You didn't have to worry about like ticks as much then. Yeah. And also what I found really interesting was because it was so hot that the rocks would heat up. Mm-hmm. So at night, if you like put your hand underneath your sleeping pad, it was like, it was almost like the ground was heating. Like it was like a heated floor. Yeah. It was the, just radiating heat up the through. The thermal mass. Now it's kind of sucky because it, it was so hot that it was almost like, oh my God, unbearable. But if it was like spring or fall where you had sun all day and it was trapping the heat and then mm-hmm. it cooled down at night, then you'd kind of have this like warm rock yeah. underneath. But I actually found it pretty comfortable sleeping there. We had our sleeping pads. On the second island, we put down a wool blanket, almost like a rug in the tent, and that made it so cozy. Mm-hmm. Um, it was almost like a carpet down there, you yep. know? That whole area is really beautiful. Yeah, I'd love to go back, to be honest with you. I, I wouldn't even mind going back via, like, canoe or something like that. I think that would be fun, or a jet ski or something. Yeah. I guess, like, the whole island vibe, too, it it creates this barrier where it's going to be a lot more remote and yeah. a lot less traveled because of the barrier, the fact that there's like a barrier to entry getting to an island. So you're going to obviously like have a helicopter, which is obviously not like a normal thing, but like even then to get there by boat, like not a lot of people have boat access either. Right. So right. it's by, by nature of that, you're going to have a very remote experience. Yeah. Now we've seen a lot of kayaks, like a lot of kayaks. Yeah. Um, because I mean, that, that's like part of the culture up there. It's all crown land. So you have a lot of people who on kayaks and canoes who are going out and kayaking to these islands or camping, they're setting up shelters, or maybe they're just there for lunch, hanging out for the day. Yep. But we saw less and less kayaks the further off the coast we got. Yeah. And the second island, I think we were five miles off the coast there. So um, the first one, I think we were a little bit closer. We seen a bunch of people kind of coming through. One one canoe family came through and, and talked to us. We saw jet skis in the background. But yeah, the second one we didn't see. I heard a motorboat in the distance and we didn't see anybody. No, that one was a little bit further out there. Yeah. If you, I, sorry, go ahead. And I don't know if it's because the... It was the second day and the conditions were a little bit windier. Yeah. But the water was noticeably rougher on the windward side of the island. It was also a Tuesday too. Monday and a Tuesday too. So could have been a bit of that. Not weekend. Rougher? No, sorry for less people. Oh, no, no. I was saying about the conditions being like rougher further out. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's why people weren't going out there. Because it would have been pretty treacherous to be out there on a kayak probably. Yeah, you yeah. probably couldn't have done it on a kayak. So here's a question for you. If we were going to go back mm-hmm. and we we're going to pick one of those islands to go back to, which one would you pick? The one with the Thunderbox, smaller island, or the big island uh, with that was oh, farther man. off? I would pick neither. I would go find another island. Another one? Um, yeah. It's, this, is the, this is the whole conundrum of the what do you order when you go to a restaurant. <laughs> and yeah. the... the <laughs> the perfect example of your risk tolerance and my risk tolerance, because I will always choose something new mm-hmm. in hopes that what if this is the new best thing and you'll always choose, do the tried and true because right. you know that you're going to want, you're guaranteed to get something that you know you enjoy. Yeah. But you could find something better that you enjoy more. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's kind of fun to like go up and, excuse me, experience something new, something the, a bit different. The beauty is though that you, if you find, if you don't find something, you can always kind of use one of those as a backup. As a backup. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, so we had packed all of our food. We were thinking we we're going to go up there for five nights. We packed enough food for seven because we know how these things go. It's not the first time that we've done this. We've been stranded a number of times before. I've been, we've been there without food and stuff too. And that kind of sucks. Mm. 
not in like a survival situation, but when you don't have snacks and then you're like, oh my God, how am I, we're like in this rural area and then you try to get food and then everything is closed and it's, you know, so we, we try to be prepared now when we fly with some kind of food or snacks. But um, yeah, we planned on going out for five nights, ended up going out for three. We came home a bit early. Um, four days, three nights. Four days, three nights. Yeah. I think that at the time we were like, I think this is the perfect amount of time. Looking back on it, I think we could have stayed out a little longer. We could have, but the weather was turning, right? The weather was the reason why we came home out of it. Because there was a tornado <laughs> warning. So we were like, shag that, let's leave. Yeah, we would have been weathering a storm. Well, we got back, and then the next day, there were reports of tornado that had ripped right through where we were. It would have been a, a, a definitely... A test. (laughs) No, I think we got three solid, perfect VFR days. Yep. And they were sunny. They were nice. Uh, It was a little bit windy the the day we came home. A little bit. But. Uh, It was like the most windy conditions we've ever flown in. No, it was windy that January. That January. No. We flew to. Jesus. Quakertown, remember? Jesus, no. No way. Absolutely not. (laughs) Nope. Okay. Let's dive into a few questions, shall we? We shall. The first question is from Maya Weatherall. They asked, what does Whiskey Zulu mean? W-Z. That's all it means. Yeah, but what is it in relation to? Oh, so uh, every registered aircraft has a tail registration. It's kind of like a license plate um, with the FAA or whatever the equivalent body would be. So Transport Canada in Canada. And in America, all of the registration... Be careful, Chris, with the word America. In the United States of America, <laughs> people got so triggered by that. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, you look up. <laughs> so we put a thumbnail up and it was like the typography worked out. So if we could put like Canada and then America on like either side. The balance just made way more sense. Right. Like it was basically like we were shooting down the border and on the left side of the screen, it was Canada and the right side, it was the U.S. But putting up USA and then Canada versus like Canada versus United States of America. It just was a mess. It just worked nice. It just looked nicer. Canada, America. Yeah. And co- colloquially, most people use the term America. They know that it means United States of America, but there are a lot of people who get butt hurt. Oh, there were some people who unsubscribed because they <laughs> couldn't believe how disrespectful it was that I called it America. It's like, what? I looked Did it up we... on Wikipedia. It's like, you know, the United States of America, also known as the States, also known as America. Also commonly called America. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> guys, seriously, there's way more things you can get offended over. But with that said, anyway, uh, yeah. yes, in the United States of America, the tail registration for the FAA all start with the letter N. So the N and then followed by multiple digits and numbers uh, or digits and or letters. So for us, our tail registration is November 300 Whiskey Zulu. That was just the, the, the number that, that was just the license plate that came on it when we bought the helicopter. And I was going to change it to uh, something like November 27, Charlie November, which would have been 27 because I was born on December 27th in CN, which is my initials. And it was a four-digit tail registration. So theoretically, I could say it, you know, 20% faster. So that's what we were going to do. But then we just kind of kept 300 Whiskey Zulu. Let's be honest. We all got attached to 300 Whiskey Zulu. The words Whiskey Zulu are so dope together. <laughs> like Z is such a good letter. Come on, Charlie so it was November. W. Charlie November sounds like a porn star. Like if you were a stripper, that would be your name. For sure. <laughs> Charlie November. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but zero Whiskey Zulu. 
that we got attached to it. I got attached to it. The audience, you guys got you attached to it. You didn't want to change it after. I didn't want to change it. I liked Whiskey Zulu so much. I had two seven Charlie November. Uh, I had it reserved. Yeah. And I kept re, 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 like renewing the reservation. And then finally I was just like, fuck it. It's, we're not going to change it. It's a part of our brand now. Anyway, the so, that's, yeah, so that's where Whiskey Zulu came from. And and just for, if it's not immediate, abundantly clear, the whole uh, NATO phonetic alphabet, which aviation uses. So they don't say 300WZ. Um, the, the word for W is whiskey and the word for Zulu, uh, Z is Zulu. So it's the, using the phonetic alphabet. That's what where whiskey Zulu comes from, and it, it comes from like trying to make sure that you don't have like you're trying to spell stuff over the you know everyone's trying to spell stuff over the phone and like N sounds like M, C sounds like E, sounds like D, it, it all sounds the same. So yeah. you know it's it's a lot easier to you know C D E would be Charlie Delta Echo, and there's there's no ambiguity in it. Right. Okay. The next question is from William. They say, how do you get your exposure right when you're always on the move during all different times of the day well you're usually filming so you have a wife that is a filmmaker and it works out (laughs) yeah uh just be monitoring your iso your um aperture and then if you have an nd filter that's really helpful but i just keep an eye on the histogram and just make sure that i am overexposing by um 1.3 stops because we're shooting slog 3 and as long as i'm hitting that uh, and then being mindful of what my histogram and meter is showing based on how much sky or not sky is in the shot. You know, you want to compensate sometimes for the highlights that are in the shot. But yeah, just like... You kind of just get a feel for it after a while. You get a feel for it. And you know what? The beauty of S-Log3 is that if you accidentally blow it out a little bit, you can save it a lot better than if you're shooting a, fl- a, a, fl- standard, a profile. standard profile. Yeah. And then like, I remember when we transitioned from shooting photography primarily in RAW to shooting... Uh, video yeah. on a Sony, it was a bit difficult because I was so used to using the histogram as like a sort of like as the, the tell all. And as long as I was shooting, exposing for the highlights and I wasn't clipping anything, then I, it was fine. Yeah. But with S log, it like rolls stuff off into the shadows and rolls stuff off into the highlights so well, but doesn't give you like a necessarily a clip signal warning until you're like way past mm-hmm. recovery. So you could be like, within you know a normal uh what looks like a normal exposure but you're still gonna be way underexposed and your shots gonna be really noisy or you could be way overexposed and it's gonna look weird like you have to pull stuff out of the highlights which kind of looks weird if it's your skin tones there's a sweet spot of exposure and i feel like we don't nail it all the time but when we do it it grades perfectly yeah sometimes it's just like a stop over because maybe there's too much sky and the meter whatever just kind of messed up the exposure or if we're trying to preserve a highlight and it's too low the shadows just don't look good Mm. so it's it's a challenge for sure right you kind of get a feel for it though definitely and i trust the meter like the uh i don't even remember what the what type of what's whatever the the intelligent metering is yeah but i mean yeah you have it at that numbers that read 1.3 you're usually pretty good yeah so long as you're not over 1.7 you're golden pretty much yeah yeah. Okay. The next question is from I am Scott Edwards. They say, how many hours of footage did you end up with after filming something like this? I have no idea. So it, every project is different. We had hours and hours of GoPro footage alone. We, we had mostly GoPro footage. I don't even think that we filled two cards on this trip um, on the A7S3. However, we did have hours and hours of GoPro footage and we had like three angles from every single flight. So I think for this specific project, that was the heaviest yeah, um, and the most overwhelming part 
But yeah. you had me doing the scout work. You did it all. Yeah, you put together all the GoPro stuff, which was great. Like syncing up three angles of GoPro footage is really challenging. So because the belly cam plus the in, inside 360 camera. Plus the actual like main angle. Yeah. The yeah. big pain though was when we were running out of either battery or card space and we had to like stop recording on one of the angles. So it was like trying to figure out what went with what? Oh my God, that was so time consuming. Yeah. There's a couple of times, like some key points in the series when like, so on this, on the first night we were trying to land on that very first island and our GoPro died. Both of them did. I think the 360 and the front camera, inside. our main GoPro inside facing us that records the audio was dying. Yeah. And, and I was trying to, died too. and the fusion died. And then, so my camera, my a7s3 that I was shooting with was almost dead. I had to take the mic out, plug it into that while I was kind of like trying to film everything tethered to a strap. And then also like check my side to make sure like the tail wasn't hitting anything or like make sure that our, we weren't landing on a weird rock. Yeah. So at that point it was like really challenging because we had lost that. My camera was dying. There's a lot going on. We couldn't land. We had to move. And then when it comes to the edit, it's like, oh my God, we're missing part of the story because we don't have all of the angles to show this. Right. Yeah, we had a nose cam shot, basically. Yeah. I think we ended up pulling it together with a little bit of a voiceover, I think. It was challenging. Yeah. Fix it in post. Next question from Austin. They say, what was the most utilized lens on this trip? Ooh. Um, you probably know. 1224. I was going to say 1224. That's well, what I was going to guess. Yeah. We added the 12 to 24 during Mozzie, our last big project. And it's the best for helicopter videos. It's just so wide. It's so wide. It's fast. It's just. F2.8. Great. Yeah. Good field of view. So that mm -hmm. I think was the most utilized. We actually used the 24 to 70 quite a bit. Yeah. For photography. Mostly. We had a pretty pared down kit. We which did. We did a whole what's in our camera bag that you can see. Yeah. That's coming up in a couple of weeks. Well, yeah, well, maybe we'll add it to the description box. If I remember. <laughs> if you remember. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the next question is from Andrew. They say, was there any gear that you took on the trip that could have been left behind? Uh, camera gear or like camping gear? Any of gear? it. I'm going to say that any of it because it didn't specify. I'm going to say there's nothing that screams out to me that I thought, well, this was a waste of time to bring. We, we, there's stuff we didn't use. Like we didn't use your tarp setup. We didn't use the tarp setup because I hadn't learned to set up a tarp without trees before we left, which is a big mistake. Mm -hmm. But I also brought that mostly just in case it rained and it didn't rain while we were there. True. So we didn't really need it, but I'm glad right. that we took it because if we go back again, I'll bring a tarp again because I think it would have been helpful to have shade during the day yeah. without having to go into the tent. Uh, we used the kayaks a couple times. We did use the kayaks. They were worth bringing definitely on the first island. Right. They but took they, up a lot of space. They did take up a lot of space. I like think if I was going again. Yeah. Like if, if looking at the, the space to benefit ratio, <laughs> I definitely say probably we could leave the kayaks behind and like free up a whole bunch of space. Yeah, I agree. I think that if we were going to go again, especially if it was like earlier and the water was cold, water would be too cold. Let's leave the kayaks behind. And we have a lot more room and then maybe we could bring a cooler with some drinks and stuff, which would mm -hmm. be kind of fun. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think we used pretty much everything we took. It seemed like a lot when we were packing up. We didn't use the bow saw because we didn't have a fire. But right. had we had a fire, we would have used the bow saw. So right. that was kind of an essential piece to the kit. Always good to have something there to cut. But I mean, that's wood. like borderline considered survival equipment. Yeah, right? it's definitely part of like the essential like list. Yeah, I think. Um, okay, the next question is: I want to hear more about your experience with the A74. 
I think we're going to make a full video about the a7 IV, or at least I'll probably make something about it because uh, it's a great camera. And if I was going to pick one camera and only one camera to have, I, that would be it. It's a pretty good all-around camera. It's it's heavy lifts on photo and video. It's comparable to the a7S III for video. Um, and it shoots great photos. Like, mm -hmm. really happy with it. How one there? Okay, I guess that's my experience with it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> would you ever get your fixed wing private pilot? Uh, I don't really have an interest in flying planes. Isn't that interesting? Because uh, you're so obsessed with flying, but you're not interested in flying planes. I'm I'm obsessed with a certain type of flying. The it, Exactly what we did on this trip. Like the adventure, the scouting, the low flying, the off yes. airports. If I was going to fly planes, I'd probably fly bush planes like Trent. Yeah, that dude flies planes like helicopters. He does. He flies his plane like I fly helicopters, like landing off airport. Yeah. You know, low flying, following rivers, following roads, doing fun shit. But yeah. Um, although I do see the benefit, though, of being an instrument rated fixed wing pilot for specifically the purpose of travel. Yeah, I think it depends on what your goals are. Like, are your goals to have these like kind of epic adventures or are your goals to be flying like big cross countries to get like from different states to like visit people and things. Right. And if that was the case, then yeah, maybe. Um, and then there's something to be said like about like our buddy Brian who flies a citation. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I can get to Florida in two and a half hours. Yeah. And if you're into doing that, like going right. to Florida or going to like California, then yeah, I think, you know, but I think for our lifestyle and our interests and hobbies, yeah. I don't think it's really. And we're not going to Florida like no. really. And even if we were like, let's, 10 hours, baby, put the tent in the back, let's go. Yeah, it'd be like eight hours, eight to 10 hours in the air compared to like his two and a half, which is just hilarious. Yeah. And then also like we're VFR only, so it's going to be, you know, weather is going to be a big issue. Whereas if you're able to, like if I had an instrument rated aircraft, yeah, I would 100% get my instrument rating and then just pull instrument flans and fly like in the shittiest weather. Yeah. As long as it was safe. Right. You know, from a like, you know, a convection standpoint, icing standpoint, thunder and lightning, obviously you wouldn't fly in. But like outside of those conditions and things that are actually hazardous, it would allow us to kind of fly and get home pretty reliably. Yeah. Whereas now weather is our biggest detriment. We really have to think before we go, like, what does the weather look like now? What does it look like later? And what does it look like tomorrow? Yeah. And what and are do we, we doing? Do we have a buffer? Yeah. What are we doing tomorrow? Yeah. Do we have that buffer? If we get stuck, are we going to be fine? And if we get stuck, if you had to work the next day, then we either change our plans or don't go or whatever. Right. Or just go somewhere close enough where if we had to get a car. We've been in that position a couple of times. We have, yeah. And we've yeah. made the call like drive home. Yeah. We have the drive home. Get a rental car, drive home. Yeah. But we, I feel like now we've been more selective because A, the novelty of just flying. It isn't like it was when we first got the helicopter. Yeah, it was like, we have to go. Yeah. Yeah, so there's like this pressure, like, you know, you almost have to go. And as long as you're willing to, to drive home. But now it's like, okay, we've been there, done that. Yeah. It's like, I'd rather not risk it, but man, nothing's more frustrating than like when you make a no go decision and it's like and it's a fine. beautiful day. And you're like, I could have made it home easily. Yeah. But of course it's, it's, it's always what if, right? It could just yeah. as easily been you make a decision based on the information you have at the time. Yep. And you could go and then you can't get home and you're like, then you're regretting. It's way worse feeling. That's way worse than yes. the feeling of, of overcalling something. Definitely. You have to be okay with the decision you make and yeah. it's better to make a cautious decision than to be in an unsafe situation or a potentially uncomfortable and like terrible situation. Yeah. I mean, we could have stayed an extra couple nights camping, but again, 
Would have been miserable, probably. Yeah, <laughs> probably would have been wet. Probably would have been windy. Yeah, yeah. And then you like worry about hail, right? Like if you don't have oh, a yeah. hangar space for hail. Yep, that could destroy your bubble. That can dent your airfoils. That can cause wreck havoc on an aircraft. And then, like from a camping perspective, like you're camping on a rock, you're not staked into the ground. Mm. You're literally staked by rocks. Yeah. You get a strong gust of wind. Your rock's not heavy enough. Mm. You know, you're <laughs> gone, right? <laughs> and then if you got your tent, you know, guide out too tight, and you get a big gust of wind, and you get a rip. Mm. then what you know wow so but the interesting thing about helicopters is like we've been in these situations before where we're we're like not that we expect them to happen but we're prepared for them yeah and we are if we go somewhere and we get stuck it's not like oh we're we're not pissed off or angry it's like that's that's the game that we play it is yeah that's the, the risk we take every time we fly we might not be able to fly back we might land we might not be able to start up yeah we might land the weather might get shitty if you want to get somewhere fast don't fly yourself exactly yeah okay next question is what was your favorite part and do you think you'd ever do a helicopter slash backpacking trip uh my favorite part was finding the islands yeah yeah like flying around just like looking for spots mm-hmm. like that was that was peak for me yeah I think my favorite part was on the second day when we like went swimming in the little lagoon and then just like lay on the hot rock for like an hour. Oh yeah. (laughs) That was amazing. I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. It was like a resort. Yeah. Helicopter backpacking. I don't really know how that would work into each itself unless you like helicoptered into like the backcountry and went hiking, but I don't love the idea of leaving the aircraft like in a remote location for a long period of time. I mean, it's fine if you're in the middle of nowhere. It's, I mean, like, if you're going to go leave it and then go backpacking for, like, two days and then come back, better hope that there's nothing left in there that's smelly. Yeah. Imagine coming <laughs> back to aircraft destroyed by a bear or something. Yeah. Would you go backpacking? Uh, I don't really have a lot of interest in it. Yeah. Maybe but if, if you like told a, me, like, hey, there's, like... There's, like, a payoff at the end. If you told me that there's, like, hey, I need you to fly us to this spot and yeah. then I want to hike they're here but you're like now you're doing a lot of off trail stuff because there are no trails right so it's kind of like most places with trails don't require a helicopter to get to and if it requires a helicopter to get to there ain't going to be any trails there yeah and then you better make sure that your navigation and survival stuff is on point because if you get lost out there oh my god yeah yeah okay the next question from the dr hassett uh do you have a process for pre-planning specific shots or sort through in post process well for ple- pre- blah, blah. pre-planning uh not really we kind of just have like the seven shot sequence in our head most of the time oh we got to do a time lapse oh we got to do this the only set shots that i had going into this one was like we'll put a link in the description on what she means when she says seven shot sequence yeah that's in the show notes when for this one i had all of our thumbnails and titles already my thumbnails were sketched and my titles were done before we went on the trip which was so helpful in knowing like what to talk about when we were at certain places. This is the first happened. time that a series was essentially uh, cut down in the way that we anticipated it at the beginning. Yeah. Like Cold Island, we had a, we did a similar thing where we like were thinking, okay, episode one's going to be this, episode two's going to be this, episode three's going to be this. And then like episode, the first the day. first day, it was like, nope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and then it derailed everything. But it, it, it made us go through the motions of like thinking, okay, what's the general gist of the trip? Right. But for this, it's like you pretty much came up with thumbnails and titles, ideas before the trip started. Yep. And more or less it all unfolded the way you thought it was. And I got to be honest, like that process made everything so much easier when it came to editing it because I was like, okay, this is what the story is. Like 
this is what we're talking about. I know this is the thumbnail and title. And so if we're going to do a voiceover, we should be talking about this thing. How to like, so for instance, the fourth episode, it was like, can you land a helicopter anywhere? And we didn't really talk about it a whole lot during the trip because we wanted to like document what we were doing. But I knew that there was going to be a significant portion of that episode where we we're going to be scouting for land. Flying around with just these beautiful island vistas. Yeah. And like, we're going to have literally hours of helicopter footage. Yeah. So like, okay, we can put a voiceover on this where we're offering value, answering a question while showing what we are doing that's relevant to the voiceover that we're, we're saying. Right. So um, that's kind of the process there for going through it in post. It's like dump all the cards, bring everything in Premiere, watch every single bit of footage, send choice clips down to the timeline, and then whittled it down. Yeah, that that's like the... That's what we kind of used to do when we started. Yeah. But having a rough plan in place and an idea, it it's enough to kind of like make your job a bit more manageable, but also at the same time allow for spontaneity and the story can still take a 180 boomerang. Yeah. But you have a backup, something to fall back on if everything goes as planned. Right. <laughs> because if everything goes as planned and you're like, well, I don't have anything to talk about, then what's your video about? Very few things didn't go as planned on this trip. In Every, fact, the yeah. only thing that didn't go as planned was us finding the campsites that we thought we were going to use. Yeah, that was it. We ended it. up using campsites that we didn't actually anticipate. Yeah, otherwise everything went smoothly. Yeah. So I think that, like I said, having the plan helps when you're like everything is going smooth and you're like, okay, this is happening. I'm kind of overwhelmed. Like, what should I talk about? Oh, I said that this video was going to be about that so that now we can talk about this versus, okay, this is my backup plan, but this thing just happened that's way more exciting than what I had planned. So we're going to pivot to this story. And then you can always use that question that little piece of content in a different capacity somewhere else yeah absolutely or incorporate it or use it in the next video yeah. so for the next one we're definitely going to go do that again we're going to go into the next series with this is what each video is going to be about but we're subject to change subject to change yeah or be pushed yeah. if something else happens you know it's funny that you mentioned it like do you just shoot everything and then whittle it down and post versus have an outline and like no general idea we watched a video recently of a sculptor making this like whale carving yeah and he made a mold first that was like a rough like polygon shape of the whale and then he whittled down versus making a block and starting with a big rectangular prism yeah and he just because it would save materials and it'd be a lot easier to start with something that looks sort of like the whale mm -hmm. so that is kind of like the same way right like yeah sure yeah you could film everything and whittle it down into a story after the fact but you're gonna make your you're looking at a, a whole mountain of material to to cut through and it can get overwhelming. Yes, 100%. It's hard sometimes to see the vision when you all you have is just hundreds and hundreds of clips. Especially if you've shot too much. So there is something to be said about what is necessary to tell the story. Right. And then working out, getting a feel for that. Yeah, so it's you, more wasteful. It's not only more time, yeah. but you're, 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 it's not just more, more time chunking through the footage afterwards or cutting it all afterwards, but it's also more time shooting it because you're shooting more yeah, because more you're space. terrified yeah. that you're going to not get enough to make a story if you don't know what the story is. Right. And then you're using more cards and you're running out of card space, batteries. It's happened then in Cold Island. You spend your so entire time filming and you don't actually enjoy the trip. Yes. Yeah. So having a plan in place is just the process we've kind of made so far. Yeah. I've, we've talked about this a couple of times before. And I've seen a couple of comments of people being like, oh, you, you've left, you've overplanned. You've left no room for spontaneity. I'm like, there's always room for spontaneity. But if you don't have a plan and nothing spontaneous happens, then you have no story and you don't have anything. People like, see 
how the story unfolded and then see that you planned and they just assume that nothing was spot spontaneous. There was yeah. nothing was spontaneous. Well, like, I mean, what we planned on that trip was like, we're going to go here and then we're going to go here. And the, these are the three things we're probably going to do today, but they're subject to change. Like oh, if you don't have those things, you're not going to be. A lot, yeah. And if but, you don't have a plan, like you, ha- you don't know where you're going. You yeah. don't know how to book your Airbnbs. You but don't how know. Many, how many times were we like, Oh, where are we going to go? Okay. Check the list. Okay. Let's go here. Yes. All the time. Otherwise we just been like, eh, let's just stay in the, Airbnb, Airbnb and do and nothing. Just, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Chemical underscore photos asks, uh, what things did you do differently specifically in the planning slash production for the series based on what you learned by making cold Island and heading East? So c- like we said, coming up with the title and thumbnail sketch ahead of time. So I knew we knew what to shoot and we knew what photos to take. Cause during heading East, I knew that each episode was going to be based on a state but I didn't have sketches for thumbnails. And when we came back, I didn't have a good thumbnail that was representative of the episode. And so some of them ended up being screenshots, which was a detriment, I think, in the end, because they didn't really represent what was happening. There was also a lot less aviation in Heading East. So it was also difficult to come up with a thumbnail that was like really representative of what that episode was about. Mm -hmm. Um, Even then though, we still find ourselves, you know, like trying to find the thumbnail it's difficult. It's hard. Because the thumbnail is ultimately the first point of contact. Yeah. People look at thumbnails, then they might read the title. And if either of those two things don't catch their attention, you won't even they won't even look at your your content. Exactly. Um, did we do anything else differently besides that? I think that was like the main thing that we've done differently. From a production standpoint? Yeah. Um we did the voiceover in the studio instead of Yes. in location, which was so helpful. Because what we learned last year was that while doing the debrief at the end of the day was great because we had a fresh memory of everything we had just done. So for anyone who hasn't seen Heading East, instead of doing a debrief after the fact in our home studio, every single day at the end of the day, we set up an on-location set. With lights and lapel mics. Yeah, and did an interview and, and both did a debrief for that day. And while it created, I think, a, a, a very fresh and authentic recollection of the day because it was fresh in our minds and it created you know a cool creative problem where we had to like create a set in every location a mobile set on every location that was you know high enough quality to be included in the production it was just like at the end of the day we are so tired and just like the thought of coming home and having to do that it's like you had to do this task at the end of the day whereas like and also in addition to dumping cards in addition to dumping cards and i'll also add to that that each location that we shot the debriefs in was different and a challenge from an audio standpoint. Yes. So I think it was like episode four of heading east. We had like recorded in the tent and all you could hear was like cicadas or crickets in the background. Yeah. And they were impossible to EQ out. And it just like, it wasn't consistent. Like the voiceover through that entire episode wasn't consistent because half of it was shot in a hotel room and half it was shot in a tent and I didn't like that inconsistency of audio quality for the voiceover I wanted something that sounded more professional the thing I worried about was that if we cut to this studio shot does it take you out of the series which is why we built out the custom set to kind of feel like to not feel like this like black and white but to feel like it kind of fit that kind of woodsy vibe with fake trees with fake trees I think (laughs) I definitely doing the voiceover at home help tell, tie the story together because we were able to have the rough edit and be like, okay, this is what's missing and this is what the video is about that we need to kind of fill in those little nuggets. Yeah, and you also uh, just nixed your entire interview for you. Yeah, I did because I thought after I interviewed you, I didn't feel like my interview was necessary. 
because I feel like as we do these helicopter series, it's more about you and your passion and your relationship with helicopters. My relationship with the aircraft? Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> it doesn't really, it didn't make sense for me to have to say anything because I was already in the video and I said all the things I need to say on camera. Because she was so good. She nailed it all on location, knowing <laughs> that right. she would need the sound bites. That's and right. I'm just like, Garrup, I like helicopters. Helicopters go swirl, swirl, swirl. <laughs> no, but like, that that's not it. But like. Oh, it is it. Because at that time that I took that photo. I didn't take any video. I didn't take any video of me getting up in the middle of the night yeah. and going in the water, ankle deep water, facing my fears. You're right. I should have taken B-roll on my phone, but I didn't because I'm yeah. stupid. No, you're not stupid. And then you're we had to fake it in the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that happened. I'll link to that video in the show notes. But no, I, I don't think it's, you're not stupid, but <laughs> I think it's the interesting dynamic where this is my full-time job. Mm -hmm. I'm editing the videos. Every time I edit a video, I go, oh my God, we should have shot this. Oh my God, why didn't we say this? Oh my God, he didn't say that. I didn't say that. It's the wrong tense. It's a whatever. We said the wrong thing. We didn't tie it together. So as I'm editing, I'm critiquing our work and the things that we say and how we're speaking on camera. I'm seeing how much of a pause I have to extract. I'm seeing like, okay, I you're not speaking in a full sentence. You're kind of talking like this. In sentence fragments. Right. So that's really difficult to edit. So I see that and I'm editing it. So I know next time I film, I have to say this in a complete sentence. So I don't have these gaps. You're not seeing that. And no. I'm not telling you about it. So in turn, you're speaking like that because you haven't critiqued yourself or seen that part. You just see the polished video. Yes. Same thing with this. It's like, okay, I'm going to get up and shoot the B roll of this because I know I need it because I'm shooting all the videos myself, but you're not doing that really. So in summary, she nailed it all on location. No, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. I in turn had to figure my thoughts out in post and fix it in post. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> no, what I, I'm, I'm saying is that if somebody is going to do a voiceover, it makes sense for the voiceover to come from the person who's most passionate in this case about what we're doing. Mm -hmm. If we were talking mostly about camping, yeah, I could talk about it my, in our experience camping, but like we're really, the. The series is about helicopters, let's be honest. And you absolutely nailed it on that last episode. You tied it together. You were emotional about the way you felt about helicopters. Your passion came through. And honestly, like after you did that voiceover and the video ended, I was like, there's like my narration would add zero to this because all we need to hear about, all we need to hear from is you on this topic. It's your hard on for helicopters. Exactly. You had a major <laughs> boner for helicopters. <laughs> anyway, so I think next time, doing that, we'll definitely be doing that again, the voiceover in the studio. However, the next the next one is gonna be really a big trip. So we'll probably do a debrief on camera just to recap in a really rough way, no mics, no whatever, just like, this is what happened today. This is how I felt. And then we'll reshoot it in the studio later on. Mm. Heart of the Fox says, what's the hardest and easiest parts of creating your adventure series? The hardest and the easiest parts. Well, the easiest part for me is that when my my loving wife preps everything, yep. <laughs> not only just pre-production, pre but also like, you know, what we need to pack mm -hmm. and all I get to worry about is the aviation side of things. That's, that's the best part though, is figuring out what to pack and logistics and see to me, that's not fun, but to you fucking love that shit for you, the opposite holds true. And that why we're perfect together. Exactly. We're symbiotes. Yep. And then you, the idea of you planning a, uh, an aviation trip, you're just like, eh, no, yeah. I need you to tell me where we're going mm -hmm. and what the weather's going to be like. And I will take care of everything else. I'll take care of the video planning. There's an app for that. There's an app for that. Yeah. I'll take <laughs> care of that. I'll take care of our packing list. I'll figure out what, because honestly, let's be honest, Chris, if it was up to you to pack for these trips, <laughs> what would happen? 
Well, I'd probably have one pair of pants. That you'd probably leave in the hotel room the first night. <laughs> Two pairs of underwear. And uh, whatever I just walk into the pantry and throw in my bag. Yeah, no food really. No. You probably forget to charge all your cameras before you left. Probably, yeah. yeah. Probably. I mean, no shade, but didn't that happen on this one where you came and all your FPV and you're like, oops, and then you used 30% of our backup battery to charge your lipos on the first night? Yeah, it's fine. Worked out perfect. So what's the hardest part? Um, probably logistics and making sure that, I mean, you have checklists on, you have checklists for your checklists. Yes. So. Because there's no corner store. No, you can't just forget something. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a big issue if you forget one crucial piece of equipment. Yes. Whether it's camera gear, camping gear, food, or helicopter safety yeah. stuff. And you've got, yeah. And, and you've got multiple genres of lists, right? Yeah. All of which could. Uh, all of which could end up in a catastrophic failure of the trip if you forget one critical item on either of those fronts. Like you said, whether it be survival mm-hmm. and you forget your shelter or something. You forget your Garmin your and Reach. Poles. You have to put it down in the middle of the nowhere. You have no radio coverage and now you have no way to get in touch with yeah, anybody. Yeah, Garmin and Reach. Yep. You forget to bring... Tent y- poles. You know, y- water purification. Yeah. yeah. Stove. Your batteries for your camera, a card. Yeah. Any of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my God. Could you imagine rolling up there and going to shoot your first clip and realizing you had no, no card? cards? Holy shit. Oh my God. Nightmare. <laughs> I'm building out like a helicopter EDC kit right now. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to put a big fat micro SD within an adapter in that just in case as a backup. We've never forgotten cards before, but just in case I heard that you can shoot um, on the A7S3. I don't think in like I don't know if it's in 4220 or not, but like I think you can. Dude, still if you had to shoot in 1080, yeah, it's better at than least not it's better than nothing. So that's going to go in the kit. But yeah, yeah for me, it, the hardest part the hardest part is probably wrapping my head around the logistics of all of it from the behind the scenes outside of the actual trip, which you take care of. The easiest part is doing the trip, <laughs> which is also hard. <laughs> I don't know if there's really an easy part. No, but I mean, it's nice to look back on it all now and like when you have a polished piece of that's the easy a part. polished series to look like, back and be like, well, yeah. yeah, I made this. I made it. <laughs> look at what I made. Okay, we got a shitload more questions and we're almost at an hour, so let's okay. bang let's them out. Okay, through these. Okay, okay. Squishy Bones says, <laughs> was there any spot you wish you could have gone but maybe didn't get to? So maybe a part two? Question mark. Uh, we had a whole bunch of like land camping sites, but after doing the islands, I think that we didn't need them. No. No. So I'm going to say, no, I was very happy with where we ended up. Yeah, I agree. The next question is, in the trip home, was that the first time ATC was that busy and you had to avoid the area? Uh, so we don't fly through. So they're referring, if you haven't seen the, the series, there's a, uh, con- there's a, in Canada, it's class Charlie. In America, it'd be class Bravo. But uh, the busiest airspace is class charlie which is around the biggest airports including toronto pearson airport so we we're going to try to nip through their zone just to be more of a straight line home um but uh they didn't uh or sorry correction we were going to the straight line we were taking uh if at the current altitude i was at i would have nipped through a shelf of class charlie and they didn't give me permission to go through so i had to go below the shelf which was below 1700 feet so Bottom line, um, we don't fly up there that often, so I've, I don't often ask requests to go into that controlled airspace. We've, anytime we've been up there, we've usually just flown under the shelf. Yeah, so, um, but I did see someone's comments that every, someone who I think flies up there 
who's from that area, they say every time I ask, they always deny. Yeah, it's probably so busy. Yeah, they've got a lot of like a lot of jet traffic going in and out. So it's just what do they want to worry about a little tiny VFR aircraft, right? Pearson is very. It's probably one of the busiest airports in Canada. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's. I don't blame them. Um, but you know, you just got to change your plan on the fly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So lucky for us, we can fly at seven hundred feet if we want to. Right. But also, like we are the the trip we are used to doing though a lot is going along the coast south of Toronto Pearson. Uh, and actually going flying downtown Toronto. Yeah. And then you're in, you're, you are in uh, controlled airspace there, right. which is, is managed, that a class? but that's managed by Billy Bishop. Right. So city towers who you talk to there. Right. So, and there are, yeah, they, I've never had them say, no, you can't come in. Right. Um, Cause oftentimes we're landing there. So right. it's like, it's a, still a big airport, but it's not a big airport, but it's still a big city. So it's a weird, they have a lot of helicopter tours and stuff. So yeah. Yeah. Next question is, um, from a camping gear perspective, any key changes or improvements for our next trip? The biggest change, we've already kind of made this edit, but the biggest change for us is our sleep system. When we did Cold Island, we bought these synthetic minus 18 degree sleeping bags, which were perfect for that trip because it was cold. A couple of years ago, we did another camping trip when we decided to sleep outside to try our stuff again. It was like 17 degrees Celsius outside. It was really warm. We're like, oh, we don't need these minus 18 bags. Let's get summer bags. So we went and we picked up these four degree down like summer bags are really thin and small. The these, ratings are always BS anyway. Because yeah, they just, are. The, and, and they changed between sleeping bag companies. So right. we bought these summer bags that they were rated for uh, warmer four weather. Four degrees Celsius. Okay, war but warmer weather. And we we're like, oh, even with like, even if it dropped down to like 14, we'd still be fine. So we went camping in the middle of the summer when it was normally hot. We were in a valley. It got cold. We were, we suffered through the night. We weren't, it wasn't a survival thing. We were just really uncomfortable. And we were like, never again are we bringing these bags unless we know for sure that it's going to be hot out. So on this trip, we brought our minus 18 degree synthetic, synthetic bags. bags, which are made for the winter time. And they're it much was bigger, much, much bigger because they're synthetic and they're for, rated for minus 18. They were so, they were way overkill because after that we were like, we're bringing our warmest bags because you can always sleep outside of them. Mm -hmm. But in this case, we could have brought our summer bags because it was that hot. We were just nervous to do it. So now we have these massive synthetic bags that take up a huge amount of space. They don't compress because they're synthetic. They're huge and they're overkill. So we decided we need to get sleeping bags that are rated for 15 or 30 degrees that are down and packable that can zip together that are not mummy style bags because they're just mummy style bags are too claustrophobic for me anyway. We want to be able to zip together so we can heat each other up and cuddle and we wanted down bags so they were more compressible so we just added these new uh, nemo 15 degree bags to our kit so they should be perfect for us now unless we're doing any kind of like cold weather winter camping which we're not really and they, and they zip together and they zip together they're spoon shaped so they they have a lot more room in the hips which is like wicked so camp time sexy time yeah well so <laughs> so that's like the biggest i think that was a one takeaway it was like these sleeping bags are taking up way too much space way too much space they're huge so that was one of the improvements that we made mm -hmm. anything else uh no i think that's it okay okay the next question is how did you ever have to land in an emergency land in an emer on this trip or ever um, I don't know if it's ever in this trip. Uh, well, I mean, we've had to put it down because there, there, there's strict definitions for like what an emergency is, and 
we've been in situations like in Cold Island where we landed because of visibility was too poor. So that was landing to prevent an emergency, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, we've never, we've had some like warning and caution lights come on that we had to land to like remedy. Um, but nothing has ever come out of anything like that. And we've never had like an emergency emergency, but like in this trip here, we, we did touch skids a couple times to like regroup and figure out, okay, where exactly are we going now? Cause both the two spots that we wanted are not going to work. So we just landed on a random Island and looked at the maps, you know, now could like focus 100% on what the plan was mm-hmm. regroup and then put a new pin on the map and then fly to it. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that's an emergency. No. I think the closest thing we've ever had to an emergency was when we had to put it down the field because we were almost out of gas. Yeah. It, during cold Island when we had to put it down because the, Altimeter light was on, not altimeter, alternator light was on. Uh, yeah, you had to go to the bathroom too, so it kind of worked out. Yeah, it did. <laughs> Perfect. And, and it just re- resulted in us flipping, flipping the alternator switch. Yeah, and the other time that I can think of was when we had to put it down because we seen some uh, precipitation you were worried for icing, so we put it down to check. There was no icing, but you did it as a precaution because you oh, were seeing yeah. condensation on the window. Well, I saw some icing, some like light rime ice on the bubble itself. Um, anyway. Yeah. Okay. So the next question is, would you ever consider an aviation trip like this outside of North America? Uh, I think it'd be fun, but logistically it would be very difficult because, uh, you can't really rent helicopters. Uh, and then to fly it. Anywhere. I also, I don't think I trust someone else's helicopter. No. no offense to other countries, but like I've heard horror stories about some countries generally speaking, um, that maybe don't strictly adhere to the maintenance schedules because it's a non-American company. Whereas Robinson Helicopters is the most popular helicopter in the world and they're manufactured here in the United States of America. Yeah. But other countries I've heard of, which I'm not going to name, uh, maybe push maintenance because they're on the other side of the world and it's harder to get parts. So they kind of push the hours and they just do yeah. un you know, they unrecorded flights. They reverse, they take like a, you know, they, they rewind the Hobbs meter to like, Oh my God, that's so scary. Yeah. yeah. So you hear about stuff like that. And then you think, hear all these catastrophic failures or that do happen in some countries more than others. And it's like, okay, maybe I wouldn't go rent a helicopter in that place. I think that over time we've become cautious of who we're flying with and we don't rent helicopters in other countries and we really don't go on helicopter tours unless we it's like a reputable company like here but yeah. i don't think i'd ever get in a helicopter outside of north america outside of the u.s or canada i don't think mm. that's just my two cents we've been we've become quite cautious especially since last year's accident with your uncle mm-hmm. um and then a couple like an experience we had this year with fixed wing aircraft yeah um we're just, you know, not interested. We fly enough here, I think, and I don't think we need to get in a helicopter. Yeah, anytime you get an aircraft with somebody else, you are putting your life in their hands. Um, and I don't think people give enough that enough thought. Yep. There's a lot of assumptions. Yes, there yeah. is. Yeah. And even as experienced aviators, we've found ourselves in at least one situation where we were in an aircraft and both of us were very uncomfortable. Yes, and, and that's we, not, you don't want to be up there and be, have those feelings. No. And we realized that we were in that aircraft. We were assuming because we went on the recommendation of somebody else. Yep. And there were a lot of assumptions made. And I, my assumption that this person 
had different qualifications and, and experience than I had been led to believe. And it's too late when you're flying, you know, at night over a forest. Yeah. To be like, oh. With no flight plan. And then I'm filing with my own flight plan. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, you told me you didn't file a flight plan when, for this. When you have no flight plan and you're not even out with flight following. Right, exactly. And yeah. like that point I realized it's like, you know what? My life is in this person's hands. This is going to play out like it plays out. Yeah. We take safety very seriously. Mm. You know, we cut out a lot of things from our videos. You know, you might like somebody made a video about um, one of our videos. You went through your checklist mm -hmm. and you said doors closed and latch and my door was open. Mm -hmm. And so they said that that was a sloppy checklist. But what you don't see is me shutting the camera off. We going through doors closed and latched one more time before we take off because it's 35 degrees outside. And if we close the doors, we're actually going to pass out because it's so hot. Mm -hmm. So like there are things that we tend to cut out of videos like for instance in in this series where nobody made a comment about this but like i'll just tell you like we're coming into huron airport like there are three or four or five radio calls that happen saying hey this is how far we are this is where we're coming in you know as we're coming in there's a radio call we're five miles we're 10 miles these are the radio calls that are happening but on video it's too much yeah you don't need to hear Crossing all midfield, three joining the downwind yeah Turning base, turning final. Yeah, air taxi. Clear the act active. Yeah, it's yeah. like, it's just like. It's repetitive. Redundant radio calls over and over. It's just like, it's just not cohesive to make a normal story. Yeah, so we cut out them. So while you might see, okay, this person is coming in for a landing and not on the radio, like we've made those radio calls, we just cut it down for the video. And that's kind of the challenge between like, you know, flying and making videos about flying and then like Our being a storyteller, about, right? It's about getting the essence of it. Exactly. And so like with that in particular, it was like, yeah, like doors closed and latched. We're check all the doors in the, in the back are definitely locked and latched. We always yeah. check those. We know our doors are. I'm cracking the door. It's hot. Okay, we're ready to go. We close, lock, yeah. latch. And we also, check everything, and that's just a part of it, right? It's a bit different too because seatbelts fastened, doors closed and latched is at the very beginning. Yeah, but like you and I, when we fly with no air conditioning, and it's and it's just you and I, like. You know, I, I, you know that I'm going to do a final check at the end because I always do. Yeah. And you know, I'm going to do a final check right. because I'm but terrified. If I'm flying with other people, I'll actually reach over and like push on their door. I do the same thing on my side. I always turn and around I and I check. I reach back and I push on the door behind just because people, I know that people don't know. Yeah. But I know that you are going to die of sweltering heat. You have a more likely a chance to forget your last year door if it's, you know, if it's closed and you're dying of heat. Yeah. Rather than staying, I guess, somewhat aerated yeah, yeah. <laughs> cooler with the door cracked and then closing it afterwards yeah like and it, the other day like i think everybody's kind of lifted other skids off and like left the door open it's like oh fuck okay skids back down yeah. close the door <laughs> yeah exactly it's like but you know they're like you go through the checklist and if i don't hear a thing if i'm not paying attention oh did you check your mags oh did you check your rotor horn yeah yeah i checked i checked it like oh I, that's, that's true actually i was going through the the heliscapes footage and you there's there was a clip where you were like did you check your mags yeah. Because you didn't remember hearing me check my mags. Yeah. Yeah. And then. And you uh, do because you go through the checklist all the right. time. Yeah. But I didn't hear it. And so you told me when we started flying, these are the things that you can look out for. This is yeah. kind of your job. And if, you know, like if, if I didn't hear it and I don't say something and he didn't check, which he always checks, but if the one, for some reason you didn't check. Well, that, that's what caused, there was a recent accident. And that's uh, why I ask, because I've seen the accident. Yeah, it was a guy who was running on one mag, 
So mags are magnetos, so basically spinning magnets, and those spinning magnets inside a wire coil create the spark for the spark plugs. So it's a fully, it's not like a, a, a computer that creates the spark for the spark plugs. It's literally just a spinning magnet. Old school, so you can have a full electrical failure and still have the engine that works. Yeah. It's just very old mechanical, like 60s technology here. And you have two magnetos because if one fails, you still got to have another one. Uh, and it's just redundancy. So if you are checking your mags and you just leave it on mag your left magneto, it's not going to be using the right. And this person, for whatever reason, didn't, I guess they didn't check their mags. They were only running on one magneto because the the switch was turned to one magneto. And then lo and behold, that magneto failed. And like, what's the point of having two magnetos? If you're only going to have one of them being used, right? Yeah. And they, 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 you know, uh, initiated an auto. Um, it was a hard landing. They didn't flare. Um, but there was, they were trying to avoid, I think probably a cactus in front of them because they were doing heli hog hunting in like Texas, probably somewhere. Yeah. But they walked away from, they splayed their skids. It was a hard landing. The aircraft was probably written off, but they all walked out of it and they were fine. Mm -hmm. But with that said, you know, looking back, if they went through the checklist, <laughs> it would have been fine. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. The next question is, did you shower at all? Negative. <laughs> no, we got in the lake every day to rinse off. Oh yeah. We got in the lake. Yeah. But and there I was no showers. Underwear out. Yeah. I didn't. I just had extra underwear. Uh, okay. Two more questions and then we are done. Okay. It's a long one. Yeah. So this friend from Lukey Pete, they say, is this the last trip before the big maintenance overhaul? Uh, maybe, maybe not. It's hard to say. The overhaul is quickly approaching. It is. It's June. It's June. We have 160 hours left on the aircraft. Like 150 now. 150, yeah. So your goal, I think, is to fly 100 hours between now and then. Yeah. It's ambitious. It is ambitious. We have a couple of weeks of vacation. But those hours are just like, poof. They are, yeah. Gone. But we knew that when we bought it, going into it, if 2020 didn't happen the way 2020 happened, we would have been fine. We would have been right at that we would have been right at that threshold. But I got to look into this, but I heard there's a rule that you can't ferry an aircraft out of from Robinson unless you have 500 hours. Oh shit, really? Yeah. And I'm about 100 shy of that. A little less than 100 shy of that. Oh my God. Is this going to be a Rocky montage? <laughs> 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 yeah. Get Chris, to five, get Chris to 500 hours. And, yeah. but like the thing is, is like the airframe has 100. I could theoretically have 550 hours. Yeah. Because I'm at like just over 400 now. So I could have another 150 hours under my belt because I paid for those hours already. Yeah. So you might as well try to fly them, right? Yeah, for sure. We're going to try to do a couple. I don't know if we'll do another, like I doubt we'll squeeze in another series. We'll definitely do some flying vlogs. Yeah. If we could squeeze in another series, that'd be great, but I just don't think it's going to be possible because right now we're already planning the series that's going to revolve around the overhaul trip mm -hmm. because it's just a massive trip. Yeah. And the overhaul trip for what, if, if you don't understand what we're talking about, every helicopter has to be rebuilt after a certain number of hours or in Robinson's case, 12 calendar years or 2200 flight hours, whatever comes first. And so the 12 year calendar year from the last overhaul is coming up this June. And we have about 150 hours left to fly it. If you want to time it out perfectly yeah. else, those hours are just kind of gone. Uh, and it requires us to, you can do field overhauls. We want to like, I just like the idea of like bringing it back to the factory and then having like a factory brand new aircraft, like mm -hmm. right off the assembly line. Yeah. That's to me, that just is awesome to think about so that's the plan is to fly it back to california where the factory is so that brings us to the the last question mm -hmm. luke likes says where is the next heli trip going to take you yeah the next heli trip's gonna be torrance california baby yep we're gonna fly <laughs> that shit across the country there'll that's be a, a few here and there in between but that's the next one that's the longest trip 
It's going to be the longest and probably most difficult trip we've ever done, but mm. I'm so looking forward to it. <laughs> I'm so excited about it, which is so weird. Yes. Yeah. Great. Excellent. Yeah. It should be really good. All right. That's a Q&A. One hour, 11 minutes. 111. Thank you guys so much for listening or watching, depending on what you're doing. And uh, if you didn't see the series, consider checking it out. Holidays are coming up. If you're looking for something to binge watch, check it out. All five episodes, I think, equal about an hour and a half total. Um, yeah. Thank you for watching. It's like a short movie. It is like a short movie. And then you can put Cold Island on it and then heading east. And you oh have a couple God, of hours. You got of a trilogy. Footage. Yeah. A trilogy here. All right, guys. We will uh, catch you on the next one. And unrecord. Unrecorded.